Good morning. Welcome to Grace. Good to see you. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 5. Yes, we're in the final chapter of 1 Peter, but I'm not happy about that because I just want to slow down, do it over. It's been a great, great letter, New Testament letter to work our way through. 1 Peter chapter 5 is where we're going to be. To the elders is this paragraph. Today we're, we are entering the final section of 1 Peter. And in the final section, Peter is addressing really three groups of people if you look closely. One, the elders and the younger. We'll deal with those today. All of you, we'll get to that in the next couple of weeks. But today we're going to focus on the message to the elders of the congregation. If you'll stand with me in honor of God's word, and I'll read our text. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to your elders. This is God's word for today. You may be seated. Now, the man who wrote these words was one of the original 12 called by Jesus to be his followers. They were appointed by Christ to be with him and then to be sent out by him. And that's where we get the name apostle, sent out ones. They were appointed to lead the church, to bring the very message that Jesus gave to them and the mission that Jesus gave to them to the first church then to be advanced and continued until he comes again. That's what the original apostles were to do. Peter, this man writing this letter, was one of those apostles. Now that may sound like he was revered. It may sound like he had a a great office and a title and that he wore certain clothes that communicated a position that he carried out and that when he came to town to visit the congregations, he had a special seat up on the stage. People called him by the title. They said the apostles in town. It may seem like that with such a a, a lofty task and mission that Jesus gave him. But there's absolutely no evidence in the New Testament that Simon Peter, the fisherman from Galilee, was treated like that or experienced any of that or expected to be. What we see, rather, is a man, human and flawed, but humbled and called to give himself to the on the ground, up close and personal, hard and even dangerous work of shepherding the flock of God, of feeding the sheep, of planting and overseeing and teaching the church of Jesus Christ in a hostile world 
even losing his life for it. That's what he was called to do. There's a pertinent scene in, at the end of the Gospel of John where Peter is given his commission. Now, the scene happens after three years of Jesus' ministry with, his, with Peter and his apostles. After Peter denied Jesus three times, then after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, after the first appearances to the disciples when Jesus rose from the dead, but before Jesus ascended into heaven and gave the Holy Spirit for the apostles and the church to witness to his lordship, Jesus talked to Simon Peter. Simon Peter and some of the disciples had gone fishing. They'd fished all night long and they caught nothing. And then they heard from the shore Jesus call out to them and say, fish from the other side of the boat. And they did, and they caught a great catch. When they got to the shore, they found that Jesus had already made breakfast for them. But they added some of their fish to that, and they all ate together. And then after breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, our man, writing this letter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Three times the question, corresponding, it seems, to three denials where, Jesus, where Peter said, I don't know him. Each time, Peter responded, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. It's always a challenge to tell somebody that you love them after you have hurt them because you wonder if they're going to believe you. But he did. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. I love you. I love you, Lord. And three times, with a slight variation in words, Jesus replied to Peter, Feed my sheep. Shepherd my flock. Jesus restored Peter after the denials, and Peter really did possess and declare his love for Jesus. He loved him. Those are two things that must happen before Jesus is going to call Peter to be the under-shepherd of his sheep, before he is going to entrust his sheep to Peter. Peter must, one, be restored and two, he must love Christ. And every elder of a congregation must have those two things. Restoration to Jesus and love for Jesus. From that point on, in the power of the Holy Spirit given to him, Peter gave himself to the task now, I say task, and I mean work, labor of love, the task, not the office, not the title, not the official duties of the bureaucracy, but work of apostle and elder slash pastor overseeing souls and congregations. That's who wrote this. Verse 1, so I... That's the Simon Peter who is this I, this man. He is, verse 1, a 
witness of the sufferings of Christ. Christ's whole ministry could be called suffering. Hebrews, we saw last week, Hebrews 5 says that Jesus spent his days in loud cries and supplications with tears. His whole ministry, his whole life was, in effect, suffering to be here. And then his arrest, the physical assaults, his crucifixion, Peter witnessed all of this. Peter says he will partake in the glory that is going to be revealed when Christ returns. Glory. He's aware of this. He said it before him. He knows that there's something on the other side of the suffering. There's something on the other side of his life, and it is the glory that he will receive and share when Christ is revealed. This is what's pulling Peter forward. It's what's motivating him in his work. It's the assurance that he possesses. And then he says, interestingly, he's he's an apostle, but he says, verse 1, he is a fellow elder. So he is sharing the calling to shepherd and oversee God's people. He has done and will continue to do the work that God has called him to do. Fellow elder, and he's gonna, he did it in the right spirit. He did it for the right reasons. He did it in the right way, just as the chief shepherd, his Lord and Savior, who he loved, Jesus, said to do. And then he is exhorting. He is ex- exhorting the elders, pastors, overseers, among the congregation. He's talking about local congregations, gathered, located in time and space, congregations with elders in them, on the ground, up close and personal, in the lives of people. And Peter here is urging upon them, upon the elders, he's urging the command of their calling, shepherd the flock of God. He's urging them to do it well, and if they do, here's what they'll get. They will get suffering, and they will get glory. They will get the cross, and they will get the crown. And that's what the text is doing today. Now, at this point, it should be asked, why does the congregation need to hear this? Why does a whole congregation need to hear what is being said to a relatively small group of men. Here at Grace Community Church, this would number 14 of us. Isn't there something more edifying that we could talk about today that would be more relevant to everybody in the room? Well, let me answer the question. Why should this address to a small group of people be preached and read in Peter's day, preached in our day to a whole congregation because congregations matter to Christ. Because Christ is the one who provided for Christian congregations through, number one, saving them by his grace, but then also instructing his apostles to appoint elders. Elders can only serve in the context of congregations. Congregations serve with elders in the task of the gospel. What is said to the elders involves the congregation and requires some corresponding cooperation from the congregation. It would make no sense to address the elders without the congregation knowing about it, hearing it, and actually participating 
in what's going on here. And the point, really, is not the elders. They're the ones being addressed directly here. But that the point is really not the elders. The point is the glory of God and the lordship of Jesus Christ in his congregation. The point is the health of the congregation and the witness of the congregation in the world. And Christ has simply called elders in his church to serve that. So the message is heard by all with great interest and great prayer and a resolve that we together will glorify Christ. So look at the rest of the passage in four points. Number one, the exhortation, what, what elders do. Number two, how we do it, how elders do it. Now we're talking about the spirit. Number three, the, the reward for doing it. Number four, the response. I'll repeat all that, so don't worry if you didn't get it written down. Number one, the exhortation. Verse two, he said, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Now he's obviously using the, the shepherd sheep metaphor, which is all through scripture. But the basic command and exhortation, put it in our language, is care for God's people. Care for God's church. Be elders and do what elders are supposed to do in congregations. Now we know Peter has in mind, as I've already said, he has a local congregation, a, a situated place, time and space gathering of Christians in what we call a congregation or a church because the elders are, look at the word, the elders are among the congregation and the flock of God is among the elders, which means they live together, they serve together, they worship together in the same place, the same congregation. And that's important because it's not from a distance. And we know that the shepherds are the elders, and they're also in the New Testament called pastors and overseers. We could use those terms interchangeably. It's the same group of men that he's referring to in these passages. And we know that the flock of God refers to God's chosen Precious people. This term's used in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. I'll rattle off some because some of you like to read when you go home. Isaiah 40, Ezekiel 34, we'll come back to. John 10, Acts 20. The flock of God is the chosen of God. So this whole sheep shepherd language. Sheep flock language is not demeaning in any way. I've heard that in, in the past. You know, God calls them his sheep because they're not too smart. That's not why God calls us his sheep. He calls us his sheep because he loves us. We're his flock. It's endearing. And the elders are to shepherd that congregation, the one that God loves and cares for. By giving oversight. Elders don't oversee from a distance. They don't oversee by setting themselves above the congregation. They, they oversee like shepherds on the ground from among a part of living the same life. Elders are to be concerned for the safety and the health 
and the direction of a congregation. Now, sometimes physical matters are involved. We have to make decisions about the physical safety of the people who come to Grace Community Church. But primarily, the elders are giving themselves to the spiritual lives of their people and their congregation by doing these things as shepherding and overseeing. This is what overseeing is. It's protecting, feeding, and leading. Protecting, feeding, and leading. We're to protect. We protect the congregation against anything that would harm the congregation. And again, that may sometimes be physical, but primarily he's talking about the spiritual health. So we're to protect the church, elders are, to protect the church against false doctrine, against false gospel, against any message that's not the true gospel of the lordship of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection, and reigning lordship of Jesus Christ by grace through faith we are saved. Anything that would come contrary to that, that would, that would take away or add to, or any other false teaching from the Bible, we're to protect against that. Because we love Christ and we love the sheep. We love the congregation, the flock. We're to protect against moral sins being allowed to be among us without addressing them. Moral sins happen. There are moral failures among Christians and congregations. And elders are there to protect by restoring people, by correcting people, by helping people and ourselves. We protect the congregation against mission drift. Jesus called the church to be a congregation to make disciples. Jesus did not call the church to be a whole lot of other really good things. Things that other organizations would be great doing and we're happy for them to do. But congregations are called to a mission. It's called the Great Commission. And elders protect the church against that mission drift. And elders protect the congregation against disunity. Disunity that could happen from false doctrine or moral sin or mission drift or a number of any uh, of other things. Simply by letting people cause trouble. The elders protect against that. In the book of Acts, Paul was giving instructions to the elders at the church in Ephesus. And he said two things. Watch over yourself and then watch over the flock. Well, you got to watch over yourself if you're going to watch over the flock. So that's what we're called to do, protect. Elders are called to be jealous. We're to be jealous for Christ's honor. Jealous for the health of the church. In doing so causes us to guard, guard the doctrine, the morality, the mission, the unity. That's going to require some no's. <laughs> I say to my daughters, I used to teach my daughters when they were growing up, I'd say, don't lose your no. And I'd, I'd say it to anybody here this today, especially young people, don't lose your no. Hold on to your ability to say, no, not going there, not doing that, not going to participate in that, not going to think that, not going to do that. And that's what we have to do. No, not here. That's part of the protection. Second, we're to feed. 
Make sure the congregation is spiritually fed God's word, which is the scripture. This is our food. And make sure the congregation knows how to feed itself God's word and then how to discern from God's word. This is part of the congregation's protection as well. Make sure that what is taught is true, that it's truth from the word of God. This requires yes. Got to say no, got to say yes. It requires yes to the word of God. Paul, the apostle, said to Timothy, a pastor in Ephesus, he said, preach the word. Why? Because it's true and because it's food. It's food for the soul. And like a good shepherd, like good shepherds, we feed the word of Christ. Everything is addressed in the Bible. God's way of salvation is in the Bible. The whole story of redemptive history from creation to consummation, the whole story and all about the future is in the Bible. Individual doctrines of the Christian faith, specific things we're to believe about God and Christ and the Holy Spirit and salvation, all that is in the Bible. The worldview that critiques all other truth claims is in the Bible. Morality, how we're to live and conduct ourselves, what, what is good for human beings because it reflects God's holiness is in the Bible. Human relations in the Bible. So we feed. That's what we're called to do. And then, so we protect, we feed, and we lead. We take the congregation as a whole and we help individual Christians along the right paths. You guide me in the paths of righteousness, the 23rd Psalm. And that's what the Lord wants us to do as elders, to help in that process. What, what is that right path? What is that direction? To Christ. Always to Christ. Always to Christ. That's where we lead people. Always to Christ. Discipleship, mission, spiritual health. It means this leading does that we make decisions. We lead directionally. There are very few simple decisions. There are a few. Some things, no. Some things, yes. But a whole lot of stuff that we have to consider. We have to consider the effect doctrinally. We have to consider the effect of the organization. We have to consider the effect of the personal, the individual. A lot of decisions that require yes and no to discern the best way forward. We make decisions. We lead. We maintain an orderly organization for the purpose of spiritual health and mission fulfillment. So shepherds do this. Protect, feed, lead. And so do elders of congregations. Elders and pastors protect, feed, and lead congregations giving oversight. Now, sometimes... I do have to do a little side note here. Sometimes pastors, elders try to involve themselves in the personal decisions of people and they interfere with people's lives in a way that goes beyond their scope of protecting, feeding, and leading the congregation. Sometimes people, Christians, don't want to take responsibility and discern and decide what God is calling them to do on their own, and they want their elders or their pastors to simply tell them what to do. 
That is not exercising oversight. We'd call that meddling or something like that. But it's not exercising oversight. It's not what, what, what God calls elders to do. He calls them to lead the congregation, to serve the congregation by protecting, feeding, and leading from the wisdom of his word for the health of the congregation, the glory of Christ to move forward. We could say a lot more. I'll give you these if you want to read more when you go home uh, about elders. But I'm going, to, I'm going to give them to you with this. I almost wish I could ask for a promise that as you read them, you'll pray for us. First Timothy 3, 1 through 7. I'll just give you the chapters. You can find it. First Timothy 3, 2 Timothy 2, 2 Timothy 4, Titus 1. Easy. Take them. Read them today. Read them this week and pray. Point number two, how. That's what shepherd how in spirit are elders to exercise oversight. That's in verses two and three. There are three contrasting statements here. He says, don't do it this way, but do it this way. And these statements get at the character of elders, the personal lives of elders, the heart of elders. And I'll say this before we look at them. The office of elder cannot be separated from the personal life of the man serving in that office. In our culture, we have debates all the time about the personal and public lives of politicians. Can they serve and if their public life is this way, but their personal life is this way? About athletes, can they play ball if, if something goes wrong? Business leaders, entertainers, we're always having this discussion about the personal and public lives of these people in our culture. That has no place in the church. If a man is not godly, if he's not growing in godliness, if he's not pursuing holiness, if he's not showing the fruit of the Spirit in his life, if he's fleshly and worldly, if he's living in sin, he is unfit to serve as an elder. Now the fact that Peter is an apostle and an elder shows us that perfection is not required because we know about Peter's failings but the spiritual qualifications like humility and repentance and faith and holiness, they are required. And Peter did possess these. And so he's giving us a bit about the spirit of the elders, the character of the elders in these three contrasting statements in verses 2 and 3. The first one is this, let the elders have a willing heart as God would have them. Let them want to do God's will. Let them want to serve God's church. Let the elders want the glory of God and the health of the congregation, not feeling forced, not under compulsion or feeling obligated to do so, or feeling like serving is somehow requi is required for a sense of self-righteousness before God. Here's the deal. No man is required to serve as an elder. He must be qualified to do it and must want to do it. If he doesn't want to do it, that's okay. But those that do must do it willingly. Jesus did this. He, Jesus wanted to save us. So he willingly went to the cross there was a willingness because of a want, a willingness to, do the, to go to the cross because he wanted 
God's glory, and he wanted to serve us to save us. Elders want to serve the church, so they willingly protect, feed, and lead. And you know, I think it's highly possible, probable, that one of the reasons Peter says they must want to and do it willingly is so that they will endure when they suffer for it. If you're doing something out of obligation, the moment it gets tough, you bail. The moment you suffer for it, you're out. Peter says, no, no, you got to want this. you got to be willing to do this. you got to be from the heart because you're going to suffer for it. It's going to be hard. It'll keep you in. Second thing, verse 2, let the elders be eager to serve and not do it for selfish gain or greedy gain. Let them, as Paul said, let the elders be eager to spend and be spent. That's what I, I read that recently in, from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The apostle Paul was writing and he said, I, I would much gladly spend and be spent for your faith. Not doing it to accumulate for himself and us elders not doing it to accumulate for ourselves with the greed of gain. Peter's probably referring to financial gain, but he could be referring to other types of gain, gain for power, gain for respect, gain for applause and approval. Now, there are many passages in the New Testament that teach that elders, pastors may be paid. They may be. Jesus talked about it in Matthew and Paul wrote about it in 1 Corinthians and Timothy and Titus. But even though they may be paid, they are not to be greedy for pay, not selfishly seeking money or power or respect or approval or applause or anything else because the gain is the glory of Christ. Now here at Grace Community Church, the elders are volunteers. They don't get paid to serve, nor do they have expense accounts. In fact, it costs them to serve. Now, now I serve as an elder, but I do get paid. The elders, not me, determine what I get paid. And this is not just, I don't know what you think about this. This may not be on your radar at all, but it just needs to be said. This is not my personal business. This is, this is not, I don't own anything here. I am a servant, I am a steward, but I do get paid to do what I do. And I am amply supplied and my needs are more than met. And because of that, my time is freed up from having to earn money through other endeavors so that I can serve this church with my full energy, my full time in my life. And for that, I want to just parenthesis, thank you. Now, even though I'm paid, I still must be free from the greed in my heart for any gain, money or anything else included. All of the elders are to be. We are to be eager to serve. Verse 3, the other character quality and heart, uh, heart quality is, let it be as examples to the congregation, not domineering or demanding. We are not to motivate as elders 
uh, by, the, by power over people or, or overstepping our bounds. We are to display the fruit of the Spirit. Our motivation in people's lives is to be displaying the fruit of the Spirit by example. It is to be doing the will of God. It is to be living ourselves a life of repentance and faith. It's not a life of perfection, but it is a life of repentance and faith. We're to, as ourselves, be pursuing love and holiness. We're to be using our gifts for service and stewardship and witness in the world. By example, not, he says, domineering, no power plays, not abusing our authority, not overstepping our bounds, not burdening people with expectations that are too heavy. We don't put guilt trips on people. We don't serve with a high-mindedness. We are to, by example, spend and be spent for the congregation. We're to have our lives poured out as a sacrifice on the altar of the faith of this congregation. We're called to lead from the front as followers of Christ. We're to be the first ones to repent of sin. We're to be the first ones to suffer for Christ. We're to be the pace setters in faith and prayer and holiness and witness and truth and love. When it's needed, we're to appeal, not domineer. So, with a willing heart and an eager heart and by examples, we're to protect and feed and lead the congregation. Now, we've been talking about what elders do. But the next verse, Peter's going to make reference to the chief shepherd. Now, that grabs my attention. He's already done it once. Earlier in 1 Peter, he said that, that we, uh, we once were straying, and now we've returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. In the Old Testament, God had shepherds. He had Old Testament leaders over his people Israel, and they didn't do so well. Ezekiel 34. You might want to read that when you go home. Ezekiel 34. God delivers a severe rebuke, really a judgment on the elders of Israel. In sum, he says, you fed yourselves at the expense of my sheep. And my sheep have suffered. And it pricked the heart of God. And then he said, But I, myself, will seek after my sheep. I will search for them and I will find them. And he did. He gives us several more prophecies along the way. For instance, in Isaiah 40, we read about a shepherd who will carry the sheep in his arm and protect them. Peter refers to him as the chief shepherd when he appears. I'm so glad that Peter brought us to the chief shepherd because, one, even as I'm preaching this morning, I'm thinking, okay, I don't want this just to be an instructional lesson for the elders. There's got to be something more here. And there it is. 
there's a chief shepherd whose name is Jesus Christ. Peter's telling the shepherds, the, the elders, what they're supposed to do. But the gospel is about what the chief shepherd has already done. The chief shepherd laid down his life for the sheep we read just a moment ago. The chief shepherd gave up his life as an offering for our sin. He was the lamb himself, the shepherd, and he became the lamb of God on the altar, taking away the sins of the world. And because he died for our sins, because he died for his people, because he died for his church, that's how he can say, I'm the good shepherd. I don't run at trouble. I don't flee when things get tough. He says, I went to the cross. I purchased my redeemed people, my flock. And now I have saved them and washed them and cleansed them. And I am going to lead them and feed them and protect them. The chief shepherd. The chief shepherd does two things. Number one, he will first save your soul. He will save your soul. And if you are hearing this today, all of this is new and you've come into grace. It's the first time that you've been in church for a long time and you think, man, I'm getting there when they're doing an in-house discussion on church leadership. I just want to park it right here and say we're doing a broad proclamation that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the chief shepherd of our souls. He died for your sins and he's calling you to repent and believe and you can be saved. And when you do, you'll enter his people. You'll be a part of the flock. And then everything we say now will make sense. But what does Peter say about the chief shepherd in our context today? He says he will reward the elders who faithfully oversee the congregation. Verse 4. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. And that reminds us that the reward is not now. The reward is then. There's reward for every faithful believer in Christ, Romans 8, and many other places in the Bible tell us. But here, Peter says, there is a reward for the elders who use their gift and steward it well for the sake of the congregation. And our reward will be this, and I firmly believe this, our reward, whether it's a Christian faithfully living or an elder doing his job in a congregation, our reward is this, it is the enjoyment of Christ's joy. Christ is going to get great joy by getting his church all the way to glory. He is going to be so happy when we get home. Perfect and complete and strengthened and established, saved to sin no more. His bride will be pure and Jesus is going to be elated. And watching that, and experiencing that will be all the reward we need. It will be all the joy and all the glory that we will ever need when we see the redeemed home. We'll be rewarded. He closes our section for today by talking to the younger ones. And that's very interesting. Likewise, verse 5, you who are younger, be subject to your elders. And this would be the response. The response is submit to the ministry of the elders among you. But he addresses the younger. Well, that's interesting. Some say 
The younger, the younger are the younger men who serve the elders, maybe. Some say the young, they're the younger people of the congregation because all the elders were older, okay? And some say they are younger Christians who are learning about the role of elders, and so they need a special word and instruction, possibly two. Whatever reason Paul is addressing the younger among them, it's clear from all of Scripture that it, the Bible calls the whole congregation to be submissive to the ministry of elders. For instance, Hebrews chapter 13 says, Remember your leaders, consider their life, imitate their faith. They spoke the word of God to you. Submit to them because they keep watch over your souls and they will give an account. That lands on me. It should land on everyone in this room, not just the elders. We will give an account to the chief shepherd. So congregation, pray for us. Receive our service. Receive our service. We've said numerous times throughout 1 Peter that no submission is absolute except to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So, if we stray from the truth, if we stray from biblical morality, if we stray from the mission, if we stray from unity, call us to account. Serve with us. With us. Help us. Follow us as, as we follow Christ. May God give us all grace.